Johnny Pemberton live on the Feral Audio Network. It's the executive buffet. It's hands on the branch. It's everything where you go when you want to find a place to dance. Here we are right now. Uh, we're doing a manual treble reduction on a loop featuring Howard Tate from the song Stop. If you enjoy it, this is what it sounds like for part of it. If you also enjoy this, I encourage you to rate and review and subscribe to the podcast. It's easy done. Easy does it. God love it. Today, I have a very special guest who I'll announce as soon as he announces his own voice. This is, uh, I want to hear the rest of this song. I want to hear the rest of this song. I want to just hear the rest of this song. This is the song. Don't forget to go to patreon.com slash live to tape. Hi, welcome to the podcast. Hi, could you please state your name to listener, sir? James Urbaniak. Hi, James Urbaniak. Born 9-17-63. Welcome, James Urbaniak. Welcome, James Urbaniak. Welcome, James Urbaniak. How's everything sounding? Does it sound okay? Sounding good, and my name is being pronounced correctly. Urbaniak. Urbaniak. How do people mispronounce it typically? Bane. Urbaniak. Many people say Bane. <laughs> Welcome, James Urbaniak. No, no, Ben. I didn't say that. Someone else said that. Bane. Welcome, James Urbaniak. I've had friends who've known me for years who say Bane, and I just don't bring it up. Really? Maybe you should have an outburst. (laughs) Have you thought about maybe an outburst? It's Urbaniak. At a nice cocktail party? I did pronounce cocktail correctly. Did you notice that? Just the slightest stress on the cock. Just the, you gotta stress the cock if you wanna get in the rock. Just a little bump on the cock. Just the tip of the cock when you put that tail in there, buddy. Then the tail just pops off at the end and you got yourself a cocktail. I love it. Are you a fan of mocktails at all? Uh, not really. I can see that. A glass (laughs) of colored liquid that doesn't have any alcohol in it. But it might have a taste, though. Everybody. Oh, this is a good... Now this kind of sounds like me, but with something in my throat. You do have an interesting voice. Like an android. (laughs) But, uh, yes, Urbaniak... Now, Urbaniak is just an arbitrary American pronunciation of the name. Urbaniak. It's a Polish name. I don't know how they said it in the old country. You don't know how? Urbaniak. Urbaniak. Have you ever been to the old country, or any old country, for that matter? (laughs) Uh, I haven't been to Poland. But you've been to Europe? I've been to France. You've been to France? I've been to England. He's been to England. I've been to Italy. Oh, I love it. I've been to Canada a couple times. Canada's, uh, Canada's 
You know, Canada's just Canada, right, isn't it? It's there. It's there. Upstairs. That's their new tour slogan. <laughs> Canada, it's there. America's upstairs. Canada, we're here for you when you're here for us. Canada. Canada, owned by Pfizer and Bayer Corporation. You know that Bayer owns Canada? I'm they not don't. surprised. Yeah, they, they literally own it. Oh, hi. Hi, James. Hey, what's up, Johnny? Good to see you again. Good to see you again, too. I haven't seen you in a little bit. Last time I saw you was at the supermarket. It was. Uh, there's this uh, listeners. <laughs> there's this cool event that happens, courtesy of my friend Brendan Walsh. That's right. There is a supermarket in L.A. called Gelson's, or I like to call it, like to call it Gelson's. And Gelson's has an apostrophe S, unlike Ralph's, which does not have an apostrophe Oh, what does that mean, then? I think it's, I think they're competing with each other. That's strange. I never noticed that. Ralphs, you don't have time for an apostrophe. <sighs> you don't know, Ralphs, you don't know what an apostrophe is, dumbass. We care about food, not grammar, nerd. <laughs> but what could it mean, then, if it is Ralphs, if it's not an apostrophe, it's not a man who owns it? No, I think it is. It's just, it's just a, uh, no they just went no apostrophe. Yeah. And, that, and they had a meeting with Ralph. This is where we put the apostrophe. Maybe he's an anarchist and doesn't want to assume possession. <laughs> doesn't want to assume possession I of like something. That. Well, we saw each other at Gelson's. And Brendan Walsh organized this sort of a chaotic event. There's a bar, the most well-lit bar in America. It's a bar in a supermarket. It's in a supermarket. It's, it's off it's, the side. Uh, yeah, it's adjacent to the bakery. Right. It opens at noon. Uh-huh. And it opened about a year or so ago. I've lived in that neighborhood for yeah. a couple of years. This is the Silver Lake area. And my wife and I would go in there and notice they were opening a bar. And we thought, well, at first you think it's hilarious. Right. Bizarre. Strange. And then, and then uh, I think one day we sat down and had a drink there when we were going shopping. Pre-shopping or post? Uh, pre, I think. That was, yeah, you got to lubricate. <laughs> You probably bought so much more groceries that day. That's right. Where are the pickles? <laughs> I want every pickle in the fucking store. Not these ones. I don't want these. Not these. These are these. What is this crap? Yeah, that's, I can see a lot of. Um, I can see a lot of certain t- a certain type of person, sort of like a, like a, maybe a bitter. 40, 50s age, double divorced lady in a strange yes, dress. Absolutely. Who's walking around with a a wine glass that's outside of the designated area? Yes. What you do you can, mean? You started to me right here. And it seemed sad. Right. It kind of it kind of had like guys in the strip club during the day vibe. Like, you think so? Who goes to the Gelson's bar at one o'clock? And exactly part of the effect is it's fluorescent. It's so it's, bright. It's, it's supermarket lighting. Yeah, it's, it's not sexy bar lighting. It's brilliantly lit. Yes. Uh, but then we kind of enjoyed the vibe, and then Brendan had an event. He had an event. Where I saw you a couple months ago. Yeah, it was like a pajama event. It was sort of a, a, an event of <laughs> right. great discord. Yeah, that, I discord. forgot it was a sort of, I think it was pajama optional. I was fully, you were fully clothed, clothed in street clothes. See, I, had, uh, I, had, I, was fully, I had full sweats. What's, I mean, what are pajamas, though, really? They're clothes for the bed. What about Pajamas. Urbaniac hates pajamas. <laughs> That's an interesting thing now, because now I can't think of, keep thinking about every sort of way you can mispronounce every sort of thing. I have discovered that I, I have a lot of regionalisms. You do? I grew up in New Jersey, and okay. I have, and, but also like, my wife just discovered this, that, name the drummer of the Beatles. 
the drummer of the Beatles is Paul McCartney. But seriously, <laughs> name the drummer. John, uh, G- George, Come it's, on. Uh, R- not- Ringo Starr. Yes. Now, for some reason... My whole life, I said Ringo Starr. Ringo. Ringo. Not like, with, now his name is Ringo. Like you know how to spell with, it. Rhymes with bingo. Right. And I never said, hey, let's go to the bingo game. Right. But for some reason, I would Ringo. do a kind of soft G, sort of a soft little elision between the G and the O. And An I'm elision. just go, Ringo. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, we were, because I'm reading a Beatles biography, and I said something, and I was like, well, uh, I'm updating her on their progress. <laughs> and I'm like, well, they just fired Pete Best, and Ringo joined the band. And she looked at me like I was insane. I said, what did you say? Ringo. I said, Ringo, Ringo Starr. That's his nickname, Ringo. His name is Ringo, but his nickname is Ringo. So I've spent, well, I mean, I've been aware of the Beatles since I was around 10, and I'm mm-hmm. 53. So I've spent 43 years singing, saying Ringo. And I don't think that's a New York regionalism. That's just me not realizing. Somehow I read it, and in my head it was Ringo. It was different than Bingo. And I sang the Bingo song as a little boy. Right. Bingo was his name. Yeah. But for some reason I just went on this other path with Ringo. And so now I'm aware of it, and I'm correcting myself. Because, you know, the Beatles are so prevalent in our culture, right. you kind of can't, a week can't go by without encountering them or discussing them. <laughs> at the supermarket. <laughs> yeah, at the supermarket. I think you should keep with Ringo, though. <laughs> That's my thing. I'm not kidding. I'm really, I'm all for alternate pronunciations. Thing-o. Yeah. I think the idea of pron- pronouncing something correctly is is sort of like a, it's a, it's a joke. It's like a cultural manticle. It's like a thing where, like, you have to say this correctly. What if I want to call my, like, you know, like Bank of America? What if I want to call it Bank of America? <laughs> well, that's where slang comes in. Yeah. You create your own little pronunciations. I want to say it wrong on purpose. Yeah. It's nice to say I feel like it's nice to say stuff wrong on purpose because it's this thing where I always think about this one time when I was correcting on this band. There's a band from Sweden called, you can call them whatever you want, I guess, but they're, it looks like Dungeon. Right, but they're not. The we're pro- a dungeon. It's not pronounced dungeon. It's d. It's pronounced like dungeon. But I'm right. I'm not from Sweden, so I don't have a. I don't speak Swedish. Yes, there's a there's a snob thing where uh, certain comedy, well, sort of showbiz history snobs, of which I am one. You're I a showbiz add. history snob. Yes, uh, I didn't know that. That the the Marx brother who did the Italian character. What's his name? Um, well, there's there's Groucho Harpo and. Is it? I always get the third one. It's not Zeppo. Zippo. Are you doing a bit? You no, I'm really? not doing a bit. I forget. I, f- I always Johnny. forget his name. Johnny. Johnny. Uh, James, Whoops, give me a break, Johnny. man. Whoops, Johnny. Johnny, Johnny. I Johnny. can't know everything. His name is this. It begins with a C. Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> they all had O's at the end of their names. Chanto. Ch- yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's Chingo. Chingo. You're getting so close. It's the same name as, as Freddie Prinze's character on his sitcom in the 70s, Blank and the Man. Oh, Chico. Yes. But comedy, uh, theater, uh, history, uh, showbiz history snobs say it's Chico. Why? Because, well, why do they insist on that, or why is it actually Chico? I, w- I want both. Well, like someone like Dick both. Cavett. You, you do you want to have a, a, a lot of gravitas when you say this, maybe? Maybe. What okay. kind of... You got, I got gravitas. You got a, a J.K. Simmons. Uh, Here's your J.K. Uh, yeah. filter. 
Yeah. 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 Everyone kind of, yeah, yeah, that's kind of. It's kind of JK-ish. I'm JK Simmons. Uh, you want to move your fucking car? Yeah. I was the first guest. He was the, the first guest on the, on the Pemberton show. show. Yeah. I'm a good guy. I'm a, I'm good a nice guy. guy. I've had a lot of success, but I still act like a working actor. Cause I didn't. I parked my own fucking car. I didn't come in a limo. Won an Academy Award. I still. I ride in the back of the van with the other actors. That's a, that's how I that's how I do it. I ride in the look. I ride. I ride. I say I can't. Get it. <laughs> I can only do it in my in my voice. I can do my J. This I noticed on an because I listened to a few episodes to prepare for this. Right. And sometimes when you do the lower register. Uh, filter, you sound like JK. Yeah, because he has that natural baritone. I I really do think that there's something about uh, the sound of voice and the shape of the sound that comes out that's kind of um, married together, except in rare cases. Also, I think a lot of times the people's faces that have similar looking faces have similar voices. Now, this is very interesting topic yeah. to me. We'll get back to Chico right. Marks in a minute. I want to go. No, I want to go back to. You now, wanna, do you want to finish Chico? Let's finish. Yeah, Chico. let's finish the Chico let's finish, thread. Let's go back to my weird, my weird <laughs> theories. Back to Chico. Back to Chico. Back to Chico. Back to Chico. Check it out. Back to Chico, California. I feel like you needed some sort of vaudeville music to go underneath. Ch- well, this. they all had names that reflect right. uh, their personalities. So Groucho is a uh, is a, a wise ass. Mm-hmm. He's kind of grouchy, so he's Groucho. Harpo played the harp. The Marx Brothers. Vaudeville's favorite trio, and occasionally <laughs> four guys. Isn't it funny how this music just like it instantly tells you what to do? It, it just really tells you, does. Like, well, it makes me want to refer to your name, Johnny. Say, Johnny. Right, how, it's James. And, it's the James and <laughs> the James and Johnny hour here for the next forty-five minutes. Enjoy us with the family in front of the fire. Turn the radio on and turn the dog down. I'll keep the. Brought to you by the WPA. We do our part. <laughs> the WPA? Isn't that like Why a- go to the store for postage? American Stamp Company will bring stamps straight to your tour via a horse and buggy. Yeah, check it out here. At this time ever, live on radio, we'll have a real live talking dog. With James and Johnny, you'll hear a fair live talking dog, a feline, a canine, all in the same place at the same time. A woman with no limbs will sing the Star Spangled Banner. How will she do it? With her voice. And uh, you'll never see something like it because you can't see it. It's radio. <laughs> yes, those are the days. Those, these are the days back when everything was scripted out and prepared perfectly. And you spoke to one man to speak to another. And this woman knew her place. And then... It's actually a rag. Oh, this is a rag. Rag this, time. This is technical. Well, it's called the, hung, the Hungarian rag. This is from a CD I bought probably about 20 years ago called Cylinder Jazz. So this is, uh, yeah, this is this was not reputable music when it started. No, this out. is this, this is, is the music of the uh, of the whorehouse. Whore, this is whoring music. This is That's nasty right. drinking. This yes. is. Filth music. This is for the trash, the dregs. My father was a public school teacher, right. and he used to bring old books that his school library was getting rid of, and he'd bring them home. So one thing that's fascinating to me as a kid is he used to bring encyclopedias home, like old encyclopedias. Right. And like where the school was like, these encyclopedias are from the 1920s. Oh, It's man. the 70s now. We really should get rid of this. And my dad would bring them home, and... 
the uh, the cultural assumptions. Oh my in god! Nineteen twenties encyclopedias, written by white men who had been born in the nineteenth century, or maybe were, one white man. Yeah, <laughs> a single white man. Yeah, one guy. And I remember there was an entry on jazz. In an encyclopedia, which was a contemporary thing at the time. Right. Because it was an encyclopedia from like 22. And it's almost like the Mr. Spock joke (laughs) where, you know, you're intellectually breaking something down with no sense of the heart of it. Oh, yeah. You're just sort of, you're like looking at it like you're like you're a scientist. Brass instruments create cacophonous sounds that uh, are inspired by Negro spiritual, you know, this... People dance in a revelous way that appears to be <laughs> exactly. under the influence of something ethereal. And it was all written like that, and then there was a little editorializing, and the writer actually said, this is an encyclopedia, it's just supposed to be information, right. not opinion, right? And it, and it actually said, there is no good jazz, oh but some of the effects can be interesting. That's funny. Yeah, there's it, no good jazz. In a way, it's kind of true, though, right? <laughs> if you think about it from that, that's, it, there is no, like, good meaning, good meaning like proper. There is no proper jazz, but it is, it, it can be fun to listen to. Yeah, I thought he, like, he literally meant the quality of the music is, always is bad. not good. I guess I'm giving him a, uh, what do you call it? I'm giving him a, a pass, a time pass. Like, he's, a, he's like a, a 60-year-old guy in 1922. Yeah. And he's like reluctant, like, look, you've got to put in a thing about jazz. It's very popular. <laughs> White people listen to it. Yeah. You know, it's really, it's, it's all the rage. <sighs> okay. Well, all right, fine. Put jazz in. But I'm not, I'm going to mention it, it, that it's not good. It's not good, but I, I, w- I will say I, I, have, I have found myself feeling quite good when listening to it. I will say it's, it's a little something extra. Uh, ch- yes. Horace, are you tapping your foot? No. I've, oh. I was telling the people downstairs to keep to keep quiet. <laughs> this barbarous cacophony has no effect on me. How dare you? <laughs> I say, how dare you? Such an idea. That voice I, to I, me is such yeah. a great voice. The um the uh, the British uh, aristocracy voice. Yes. It's such a oh, it's so good. It's such a great voice. I want to hear about Chippo though. Oh, so chick, so chick. <laughs> We're here about chicken marks, old chicken marks. Uh, so, uh, so Harpo played the harp. Groucho was, you know, grouchy, and uh, Zeppo, I guess, had a lighter. I have no idea. <laughs> but Chico, uh, here's the weird thing about Chico's name. These are the names they came up with when they started their vaudeville act. Right. In real life, uh, Chico uh, was known as a ladies' man, and he liked to chase girls, chicks. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. And but the thing is, his Marx Brothers persona is not like that. Harpo chases girls. Okay. Chico does not chase girls. So Chico is the only one with a nickname that reflected his actual his real life persona. His real life persona. Uh just went with a lot Chico. of girls back in the day. Not Chico, Chico. Because it's because he is chicks. What about those little sticks you have that are orange that you can only get at some gas stations? Little what? Cheek, those little orange sticks you eat, they're like a Butterfinger inside. Mm-hmm. A, I missed the segue. Oh, I was asking how you pronounce that. It's the same. Oh, uh, a Slim Jim? I think it's called a Chico stick, <laughs> right? Oh, is it? You ever heard of a Chico stick? No. Really? No, I, I can't know be the only person knows about Chico stick. Is it's this like originalism? A, I don't think it is. Chico stick. I think it's a little, I mean, it's, yeah, Chico stick. Look, this is it. 
That's the Chico oh, stick right there. The okay. I just never paid attention to the Chico stick. See, I'm a... Yeah, I mean, it's basically the inside of a Butterfinger. Right. But it's not without the chocolate. I think that's what it is. It's really good. You can break me. You can share me. It's a Chico stick. All America loves the Chico there stick. There it is. See? We're oh, we brought it up now. on the big screen. Well, on the big screen, we have the old Chico stick represented. You guys can find the image on the Instagram uh, for the show later. Yes. Uh, listeners, if you want to know about what's going on here, this is uh, Live to Tape with Johnny Pemberton featuring James Urbaniak. Mm. Urbaniak. Urbaniak. Yes. Urbananiac. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is my guest, uh, James Banana Addict. He's a great guy. Uh, you can hear him and see him in a lot of different wonderful films and yeah. television programs. Currently, you can be seen on the program, I believe it's called Difficult People. Difficult People. In the role of on Arthur. Hulu. Arthur. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And this is what it is. And you can uh, rate and review the podcast. Also check out the Patreon. It's patreon.com slash live to tape to make, uh, to contribute to this thing. So that voice I was just doing before, I feel like you, you do a lot of voices, right? Can you do? Sort of. Because you, I mean, you are, uh, to cut to the fucking chase here, you are Dr. Venture. I'm Dr. Venture on the Venture Brothers, which right. is... Just my that character is just my voice, but with a right. different attitude. But that cartoon is legendary at this point. It's, it's very like, beloved. It is like nothing. I've never seen something that's so. It's like people were obsessed with it. My experience is people either people who know the show are obsessive fans, mm-hmm. or people don't know the show. Yeah, that's, there's very that's little middle it. ground where people are like, oh yeah, I've seen it. It's all right. And we, when we people, first, people who know it tend to fall in love with it. It's a cult show. It's a great show. The guy, it is a great yeah, show. Yeah, <laughs> everything about it's really cool. Uh, Dare Doc and Jackson, I'd love to do a voice on it, however small and insignificant. Yeah, seriously. So just throwing it out there. Um, hi, t- uh, Titmouse, um, letting you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Titmouse is the animation place that does it. Just, yeah, go hang place. out over there outside Titmouse. Oh. Yeah, I know a couple people there. It yeah. wouldn't be that weird. Just wander in. They're pretty cash over there. No, they're super cash. Hey. But, but those guys are in New York, right? They don't. Do you have Do you have to ever go to no. New York for well, the show? Well, no. Actually, Jackson Public, the creator of the show, moved right. to L.A. When? this year. Wow, that's a big yeah. deal. Like I don't know, six months ago or so. Why did he do that? I he liked it. He liked L.A. and I wow. think he just wanted to yeah take a little break from the. Uh, and they, they, like, they were based in New York, but half the cast... And I used to live in New York when I started the show, but then I moved okay. here 10 years ago. But Jackson would come out to record the L.A. actors, mm-hmm. and then he moved here. So, But Doc Hammer, you know, the co-writer of the show, still yeah, lives in New York. The the goth dude. The goth dude, yes. Mm-hmm. Great. They're great guys. Super cool brilliant, dudes. Brilliant, brilliant guys. Wonderful writers. It's really a two-man operation. I mean, they... Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely a... They write the whole thing themselves. Yeah, it's they're they're very much. It's like uh, it's like a lot of things where there's there's two people and they each do. They're like they're so involved equally. It's almost like inextricably linked together. Yeah, it's like the show couldn't couldn't exist with just one of them. Yeah, Seems that's like true. It. That's true. Uh, yeah, they're they're just a really good partnership. Is there and like a? They share a point of view. That's yeah. that I. It, would be hard for someone else to get in there. <laughs> there's so much stuff on that show. It's so weird. It's very dense. Yeah, and there's stuff where it's like they get away with things that I think other people wouldn't because because it's like such a cult fan, a cult following, and also just because they, it's like the nature of the show is so 
I don't know what it is. It's like the way, like the certain characters, like I'm thinking about um, like Sergeant Hatred. Mm-hmm. There's characters where they're, it's, they're so fucking bizarre and crazy and they say stuff that you couldn't get away with on any sort of non-animated show because it's yes. just like, holy shit. Yeah, the, ped- the pedophile. Yeah, the pedophile, <laughs> the pedophile aspect of it. It's so, But it's funny though. It's not heavy even the slightest bit. You're laughing at this thing that's like, terrifying it's like the the darkest of all the abysses of of evil but it's this hilarious aspect to it it's so i don't know it's got to be fun to be a part of that yeah and like the whole universe of the show is sort of every character is a loser mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> that's sort of the relatable element so it's almost like like it takes place in this sort of classic fantasy universe of like supervillains and heroes, right. but everyone's kind of going through the motions, and it's just a job to them. <laughs> That's sort of the brilliance of the show, you know. That uh, it, it's a complete deglamorizing yeah. of the kind of superhero universe, the bureaucracy of yeah, exactly, and it just sort of getting through one's life. <laughs> I that may be why it's so relatable. Yeah, you know? yeah, it's like The Office. And it's even like, yeah, Sergeant. Yeah, it's an, it is. It's like a workplace it's comedy. It's a workplace comedy, sort of. yeah. yeah. When you got involved with that, was mm. there like an interesting story behind it? Or was it one of those things where it's like, yeah, I, they asked me to audition, I did, and it was like, they just, it worked out. I, well, I met Jackson in New York. God, when did we even make the pilot? Like, it's, I mean, the thing is, it's such a long turnaround between seasons. Oh, my God. We was- just finished recording the seventh season, but the show's been on for like 15 years or so. Yeah. So I was in New York, and in the early 90s, I was roommates and uh, with a guy named Bob Sikoriak, who's still a good friend of mine, who's a cartoonist. Mm-hmm. So, And when I was younger, I thought I wanted to be a cartoonist, like when I started really? college. Yeah. I like to draw and stuff. And, and then, as they say in the local press, I caught the acting bug. <laughs> <laughs> Did they actually say that in the local press? Every time there's a local news article about an actor uh, from they, every actor's hometown has a hometown act- paper who has done a article about them catching becoming the a, you know if someone becomes well known they'll write uh, she caught the acting bug in high school he caught the acting bug that's every Google caught the acting bug yeah you'll find it's just articles everywhere. all across America about actors uh, from their hometown. Do you feel like acting is a bug? <laughs> I suppose. It's a bit of a virus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a bit of, yeah. It has a way of uh, what's it, incubating in the soul. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hey, I'm not putting down that cliche. Yeah. It works. But I, so I met, I became friends with this guy, Bob, and then we ended up being roommates for a couple of years. And through Bob, I met Jackson, because through him, I met lots of cartoonists okay. and animation people. And at the time... Jackson was like working in comics, and then he was writing for the original version of The Tick. Oh right, yeah. Uh, and the good which one. is how he met the one that Patrick Warburton was on. Uh-huh. Uh, well, I have no, I haven't seen the new one. I've I haven't seen it either. I but have it, friends on the new one. It's one of those things where I don't know. It, it, it's the old. It's the, it's never going to stop. There's always going to be con- new iterations of things that That's were right. old, and you're like, "Well, this isn't the way that we did it." Well, what yeah. are you and I but new iterations? Exactly. Of the old thing. We're just the new versions of the old. <laughs> exactly. It's that. That's why it's. I. I stop myself from saying anything because it's really like, what? What are you gonna do? It's like. It's just. That's how it is. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, that's how I met him was through my cartoonist friend, and then I just kind of got to know him socially mm-hmm. for a couple of years, and then one day, uh, 
I remember I was at a bar with my friend, and Jackson came by, and he had a little portfolio with him. And he said to me, hey, I'm pitching a, a pilot. I'm making a pilot for Adult Swim, mm -hmm. and I'd like you to be this character. Oh, that's cool. And he had drawings of the characters, and <laughs> it was pretty much the show, you know? Yeah. And I was like, that sounds great. And I think at the time, I may have just started, like, I think I was, like, starting to make a living in New York doing, like, commercial voiceovers and things. Okay. But I'd never done any real animation. Yeah. I think I had done, back then I had done, like, a couple of, I did, like, a voice on Daria. Okay. Like, one episode. That makes sense. But it was, like, a non-union show, so I, I made a fake name. I, like, made, like, my porn name. What was it? Do you remember <laughs> what it was? Yes, it was Christian Collingwood. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the street I grew up on, Christian and my and my middle name. One. Yeah, that's funny. It's a pretty pretty cool name, Christian yeah. Collingwood. It's like one of your guys. I am Christian Collingwood. Christian Collingwood. Christian. It's Christian <laughs> like Christ. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's my middle name. I'm Christian Collingwood here. <laughs> what have? Why are you here? What have you brought to us that you deem acceptable for such person as Christian, this Collingwood the third? It's a guy who uses the word indeed at the end. Of, oh, it's very cold indeed. Indeed. Have you ever heard this before? That was very good indeed. Absolutely. This is a video I'm going to play you here. This is a, mm. this is a excerpt from a, from a documentary called The Mayfair Set. You know that documentary, documentarian Adam Curtis? I don't. He's this very prolific documentarian in the UK. He makes mm -hmm. a lot of very dry documentaries, so he's able to make a lot of them. But he made one called The Mayfair Set. Yeah. Which is about this part of uh, London called the Mayf Mayfair, or whatever it's called. It's like a mm -hmm. ritzy part of London that got sort of taken over by uh, people, uh, rich Arabs from, they, they moved there to mm -hmm. live there. And this is one of these guys who used to live there commenting on that. And it's this voice. It had become the social center for the oil rich Arabs. One has to say, putting it as tastefully as one oh my God. possibly can, that. Uh, uh, I think some of them are a little unfamiliar with the Western Lavatory. I mean, I can understand that you know, if you walk in and you haven't seen one before, it does look a very strange and unsympathetic object. All right, now pause it for quite a obviously second. Rather right. I, I have many questions. Okay. Now, I'm a dumb American, so I don't know that much about British dialects, although I, I love hearing them. Right. What year is this? Is this recent? I this believe, man talking? No, this man is just talking probably in like the late 60s. Okay, very good. And right. how old is this guy? This man is probably <clears throat> in his 40s, I would say. All right, that makes a little more sense because yeah. I really didn't think upper class people oh, no. talk like that anymore. This is a very special, probably. That's one of the last dead. guys. Yeah. That's like in the 1930s. Uh, you know. People to sound like this. Oh, but okay. In, but in, and there was a certain British thing. The Prime Minister, I sort of talk like that. We have come to push the hun back to from which yes. they And there's end. a thing where the, the wise at the end is like, it's terrible. Terrible. It's terrible important. It's absolutely. That we move immediately <laughs> to end. We must move immediately. Mr. Hitler's reign. Of terrible, terrible terror. There's also the slowness, too. It's like... Yeah, it's very drawn out. Yeah. Four years. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I want to do it it's like overly... We should do this now. Here, we, we can do it like this. Yes, we will fight them terribly hard. <laughs> Just got to get more L.Y. words in there. The Han has... <laughs> 
is the American, then there is the American Mid-Atlantic thing, like FDR. Right. And also the thing where actors in the 30s sounded kind of English, this bizarre trend. It was a status thing, right? It was like to be... Yeah, you're just supposed to sound, because I think it was about, yeah, like wanting to sound... High class. High, high class, and it was talking pictures, but this is... You hear the FDR, it's like, he always says, like, hello, fr hello, friends. Let me read to you from the funny papers. <laughs> it's such an interesting thing. It's like, I want so badly to sound that way. Could you imagine? Like, what I don't understand oh, is that. Oh, yeah. I would have cleaned up as an announcer back in the Oh, my uh, God. I can't, you would just be, you'd be the, <laughs> I could just see you with one of those straw-type straw, straw yes. type hats on. That's right. Uh, what is that hat called? I don't know. Oh, you, you wear, a belter. You wear one in the uh, in uh, one of, probably one of my top five favorite movies of all time. American Splendor. American Splendor. Because, yeah, I play Robert Klum, who had a retro thing mm -hmm. going on. The American Boater Company. <laughs> Makers of quality boater hats. The American Boater Company is... But for something which previously was only available to the very rich in countries far flung on the globe, you need a hat. <laughs> but going to the hat store is time-consuming. Do you need a hat? <laughs> of course you do, dummy. Cover your head. It's raining. Or the sun. The sun ever-present. When there is not sun, there is rain. To leave the house without the hat is both silly and absurd. How do you go to the hat store, you say? If you don't have a hat, how can you go buy a hat? Scientists are only beginning to discover the effects of moon rays. Moon rays. Devil night rays, some call them in the western peninsulas. To go hatless at night is to take death into your own hands. How dare you let a woman be alone without a hat at night, sir? Do you care for an interest, or are you a heathen? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Hats. Hats were huge. Oh, God. Oh, it is another word that I used to... You know, people make fun of Trump, because he said he has a New York he accent, says and he says huge. Yeah. But I said huge my whole life until I was, like, in my 30s, and... A girlfriend corrected me. Did was she like? Did she correct you? Like, James, I like you, but um, I'm not gonna like you if you keep saying you. Pretty much. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> she, uh, yes. In fact, she's the the one who started calling me James because I was always Jim. Okay. And when I was a kid, I was Jimmy. 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 Anyone who knew me as a kid, which is my family, right. basically, uh, calls me Jimmy. And then, I, and then this uh, uh, lady was uh, uh, she's a classy. She was a classy lady, mm -hmm. and we were, she and she liked and she just decided to call me James because we she liked it. You're James. Yes, <laughs> James, dear. I like your name. I like your countenance, your face, <laughs> the way in which you treat me is acceptable. I believe it's time to call you James, as you're ordained well, from birth. <laughs> Evelyn, I am Jimmy. I mean, I. Well, I mean, it'd be a huge thing if you changed my, my name. Well, we, I don't let you call me Evie in public, do I? Why should I refer to you as Jimmy? Why, I say Jimmy is what you do to a lock or what you do to a penis. Now, were you always Johnny? Uh, I was always Johnny, yeah. Like as a kid? As a kid, I think I got called Johnny by my parents. I think so. I'm pretty sure. And I think it was, there was obviously that point in time when I was like, I'm going to be John. Yeah. And I had the first girlfriend I had, she called me John, and I fucking hated it. <laughs> I hated it. Because it's my dad's name. My dad's name is John. Yes. So, yeah. 
Oh, yeah, no, I was Dad. I was I was Jimmy as a kid. Then I was Jim. Jim. Jim, and then I went out with uh, this woman, and she uh, uh, called me James, and and so we were together for four years, and then that was when I was in New York. And so uh, like you when established I first lived in. So James. she would we would go to a party, and I would still call people and go, "Hey, it's Jim." You go, mm-hmm. and then we'd be at the party, and then Karen was she would go. Oh, uh, ask James. James had, you know, she, I just, we come in and so a, a, a whole group of people started to know me as James. Then we broke up. And then I remember calling a friend of mine. Uh, and I called him up and I said, hey, it's Jim. And he said, oh, you're Jim now? Oh, wow. And I said, I was always Jim. Karen called me James. And then I thought, hey, you know what? James suits me. I know. I do seem kind of James-like. All right, fine. I'm James now. Yeah. So well, I've been James ever since. And, but I did an experiment once. Right. Uh, I was. I did a. This is a couple of sidebars here. Okay. But I was. This whole podcast is sidebars. <laughs> Honestly, I've I've never done an episode that wasn't like. All right. It's all. It's all. I should just fucking rename it because it's you called remember sidebars. The, 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 the you remember the was up Budweiser campaign. Oh. What's that? Well, the first time I went to Mardi Gras, and yeah. the last time I'll ever go to Mardi Gras was in the wake of that, and pretty much mm-hmm. all you saw in New Orleans was drunk frat guys screaming that from the top of moving RVs. So, uh, you can find this on YouTube, but I am in a couple of the original What's Up commercials. No way. Yes. So, I was in one oh, of them. Oh, damn, dog. I know. Oh, damn, dog. Oh. oh. I know. It, oh. It, it's impressive. Damn. Uh, so, I did one. Dude, you must have got free drinks from that. <laughs> no. Mean, honestly. No, I got, I, I, I didn't. You didn't? No, they didn't send us any beer. What if you went to like a bar and we're just to say it and they'd be like, you know, hearing really- that now, Johnny, that would have been a good idea. <laughs> what's up? <laughs> well, I didn't actually say what's up in the commercial. There's an early one where uh, the what's up guys right? are uh, having a party and people kept uh, people are getting buzzed up from the street. Yeah, I remember that one. And then and each time they're buzzed up, one of the guys well, in the apartment goes, what's up? And they laugh and come up. <laughs> So then the button at the end of the commercial is the the thing buzzes and he goes, What's up? And they cut to me as a confused pizza delivery boy, just kind of making a face, like, huh? <laughs> but it wasn't you as animated. Or it was you? No, it was a live action. It's a live action you. So I did that commercial. It was one of the first ones they filmed. Right. And I could tell it was gonna be popular because it was just it you was just really funny it. and catchy. So uh, that campaign happens. It's very successful. And then a year later, they call me. Oh, no. So here's what happened. All right. I just remembered. So I go to do this commercial. It's the Budweiser commercial. Right. And for the first one. And, I, and I'm James Urbaniak. And I think maybe I should. I'm going to do an experiment. I'm going to call myself Jim on the set. Yeah. I'm going to call myself Jim, and I'm just going to see what that's like if I want to be Jim again. You mean call yourself, like, say, hi, I'm Jim. Yeah, hey, I'm Jim, yeah, Jim Urbaniak. Yeah. It's like, you know, hey. And, and so as an experiment, I get this commercial because it's like one day mm-hmm. working with these people. Right. So I want to see what that's like. So I go, hey, I'm Jim. So the whole day they're like, hey, Jim, how's it going? Hey, okay, okay, five minutes, Jim. Thank you, Jim. It was great. And then the day ends, and I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I'm not into it. I, it, I tried it. Mm-hmm. I, I think I, I still want to be the. I'm going to keep up with this James thing. Keeping up so with then the James. A year goes by, and they call me. The producers call me to do a second commercial a year later. Okay. And I walk in, and everyone's like, "Jim, great to see you, Jim. Hey, Jim, five minutes." And I'm like, "No, no, I, I don't say this to them." Yeah, you but can't I'm just say thinking you can't. like it annoyed me. 
I didn't like being called Jim anymore. Wow. And they did it because they remembered me from a year ago. And that's the story. <laughs> that's, how, that's how he became, and that's how he became James. So now I'm, I really am James. But see, I, I seem more James-like than a Jim, but I'm more of a Jim. I think so. But the cool thing about James is that you can always throw it back into low gear. You can always be like, yeah, what's up, Jim? Well, and I know a couple guys who will call me Jim. Yeah. Just as a friendly thing. It's like and how, I enjoy it. I enjoy it. Yeah. It's like how Bush used to call Secretary of State James Baker, Jim Baker. I knew a guy in New York used to call me Jimbo. Jimbo, there you go. <laughs> See, I get what I get that I like is uh, I get Pemby by some sometimes Pemby. On, on set. Mm-hmm. I just did this movie for three months, and the main actor was also named Johnny. Yes. So I'm like, well, I can't be Johnny because we're in every fucking scene together. So I had to start from the very first day. I was like, you cannot call me Johnny because he's Johnny. He's Johnny Knoxville. So he's the he's the Johnny. Yes. Uh, you can't call me that because it's gonna be it's gonna be so much confusion. Anytime someone call me Johnny, be like, I would just refuse to acknowledge them until they said Pemberton or Piss or Pemby. <laughs> Piss. Piss is a, actually piss is a great name because it's so short and it's I like so it. it's so like vile. Doc it seems Hammer. Like it's bad. Doc Hammer's real name is Eric, but he he named himself Doc because he wanted his friends to have a friend named Doc. It is a very <laughs> old timey nickname. That's funny. Doc. It is. A, it's. A, I mean, it's you know a great what I name. like is in movies uh, when there's a doctor scene, the patient always calls the doctor Doc. Yeah. No one has ever done that in real life. No. I'll find that Thanks, my doctor. Doc. <laughs> doc, you got to help me, Doc. I got this fever, but it feels like I'm cold. What's going on, Doc? I, I, well, Piss, why are you calling me Doc? <laughs> Just call me Stephen. That's my name. But Stephen, look, I'm pissed. You're Doc. Doc, look, okay. Oh, gee, Doc. I don't know what to do, doctor. Doc, yeah, I doc. say, how, how, uh, how dare you? And then there's the thing of like doc, just as an old, an old nickname. Yeah, uh, that guys would have. I think people used to call Charlie Parker because I was Charlie really Parker into jazz. was Bird. It was Bird, but there's also <clears throat> there's some so they, people would call him Doc. They would call him Lady J or so. I think Miles Davis had a weird name for Charlie Parker. Maybe it was the other way around. There was some right. It was either. Remember some well, member Billie of that Holiday. community was Lady Day. Yeah, it was Lady Day. I think that someone called someone Lady John or something. Some weird. Because my friend Pete in high school, because we used to be really into mm-hmm. jazz. I was like super into yes. jazz back then. We like read about it, like need to know. We were really into knowing about jazz, like yes. history of it and stuff. And he would call me Lady John, sometimes like as it. a joke. Lady, hey, what's up, Lady John? Lady John. Yeah. It's good. It's taking the whole, like, Marine Sergeant ladies thing and turning it around. All right, ladies, let's see those bunks. Yeah. James, are you ready for a segment of the show I call Bad Questions? I'd love it. Okay. Now, did we did we tie up everything with nice little ribbons, all the sidebars and segues? I, I don't think so. Well, I was going to talk about my, <laughs> my obsession we, with... We handled Chico. I talked about the Bud commercials, my experiment going back to Jim. Right. I am going to ask you about American Splendor. Sure. Just before we get done here, before but hit, we me finish. With your, hit me with your questions. Okay, so these aren't my questions so much. This is sort of a, an experimental, occasional section of the podcast that I call Question. Bad questions. Today's guest on bad questions is James Rapaniak. Voice actor, comedian, author, 
football representative. Here we go. Okay. James, what if wishes were horses? Then we'd get pretty far to uh, be thrown off our wish. Actually, the correct answer is I would ride them all night long. That's a good one. Can a house be a horse? James. Yours. Yes, that's, I'll take that as a yes. Okay, moving on to listener questions. From Henry, we have, is cereal soup? No. Correct. <laughs> From Andy, have you ever touched or seen a monkey? Now, I'm going to, you know, I want you to imagine this is like, who wants to be a millionaire? Where yes. We're pausing, and where I'm thinking, the music is coming up. Yes. I look stressed. Have you ever seen or touched a monkey? Have you ever seen or touched a monkey? Can I call my lifeline? Yes, you can. Hold on, let me get a lifeline here on the phone one second. AT&T, please bring up James's lifeline. This I is believe- my old roommate, Bob. We had a lot of fun times in New York in the 90s during the grunge era. Bob, are you there? Hey, what's up, man? Hey, man, great to see you. Thanks for introducing me to Jackson Public. Yeah, no problem. That's cool. Yeah, what are you doing, drawing right now? Actually, I was just uh, putting my feet in a, in a little, little water bath to cool them down. <laughs> Listen, you remember when we lived together and we did some crazy things? We took mushrooms that time, and we used to have those big parties where like 200 people would be in our loft on Lower Broadway. And also, can you believe that 320-somethings shared a loft? There was also a girl who lived with us. Shared a loft on Lower Broadway. None of us were millionaires. Like, it sounds like I'm talking about the 1930s. Yeah, man, I mean, real estate's crazy now. I just don't understand what's happening in this world. Anyway, I'm on a game show, and uh, I'm giving my, my money to charity. Uh, but I, I need to know if... Uh, what was the question again? Did I touch a monkey? Uh, the question was, have you ever seen or touched a monkey? Uh, the question is, have I ever seen or touched a monkey? And I have a vague memory of maybe touching a monkey at one of those parties. Okay, let me think here. Uh, the party, uh, we had a lot of people coming through there. I'm pretty sure we had some guy bring like a little Reese's or a cappuccino monkey. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, okay. So I'm going to go with yes. Okay, and... Ding, 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 yes, that is correct. All you right. have seen a monkey. You don't have to have touched ah, it. Ah, my God. But gosh. that's great. Great okay. to talk to my old roommate, Bob, yeah, there, the cartoonist. We lost him, but he's. Uh, he, we can bring him back later he's if you need cool to. He's a cool dude. Well, she sounds like a great guy, real chill, fun, <laughs> yeah. in the moment kind of guy. That's my we favorite We had a lot of, of fun thing. back then in the grunge era. The grunge era, I mean. We only... had goatees. I see it's coming back. I think you can probably dip your toe back in there, don't you think? Into the goatee pond? Well, just to the, well, that always is available. Goatees are always available. But I mean, the grunge aesthetic. Because, like all things, they're going to come back. It's going to come back. There's real grunge, and then there was fake grunge, which is right. always what happens. Someone starts a trend musically, and then other people who are competent but aren't as personal do their version of it. Who's the best example? Well, let's just say Nirvana is obviously Kurt Caird and right. that caught on. Yes. And then other bands who are competent musicians, I can't even think of any names right now, but they just, <laughs> you know, with their songs are... Yeah. Midnight at the time that I'm living in, I feel the blood in my soul. You know, just that kind of... Yeah, yeah. we've got to write some dark lyrics. Dark, so we've got to be kind of emo, uh, heavy bass, uh... But they're imitating, they're not originating. Right. And that I'm sure there were ragtime bands that were... <laughs> I'm sure Alexander's ragtime band was real. And then some other guy was like, yeah, we're going to imitate what they're doing. And then, yeah. and then ragtime nerds were like, 
Yeah, they're okay, but they're not like Alexander's. They're not like Alexander's yeah. ragtime. <laughs> or maybe Alexander's ragtime band is actually the, the, the freaking, what do you call them? Well, actually, the posers. if I may, Alexander's ragtime band is a fake ragtime song written by Irving Berlin. So that's a pop ah. song about a band that doesn't exist. So he's actually c- trying to cash in on the ragtime craze. Irving Berlin. Written some great songs, though. Wrote Easter Parade. Ah, uh, yes, Easter Parade. In your East. Yeah. He wrote White Christmas. He's one of the great American songwriters. Oh, that's right. Okay. Which popularized by (laughs) Bang Crosby, ladies and gentlemen. Bang Bang Crosby. Crosby. There's a cool nickname, Bing. Bing. That is a hip. Bing Crosby at the time was a hip cat. And then when I was a kid in the 70s, he was kind of a mean curmudgeonly. Oh, the worst. And it came out that he was abusive to his kids. And I remember watching an interview with him in the 70s. And they were just speculating. The interviewer, I don't know, they were talking about social mores or something. Uh-huh. And they said to Bing, if your daughter, his unmarried daughter, his adult daughter, if your daughter lived with a man but wasn't married to him, how would you react? And he said, I don't remember the words he used, but he was like, I would never speak to her again. I would never speak to her and again. And you're like, Bing. Bing. Bing, come on. Bing, what's his real name? Jonathan? You know, I don't Kevin. remember. I don't Steven. remember. But he was, uh, he was kind of a trailblazer, actually. He was? Yes, because uh, this is, I also, I'm interested in all aspects of, like, the performing arts. So mm-hmm. I remember reading about Bing Crosby, and when he started out um, in the 1920s uh, as a singer, in the 1920s, like, if you went to see a singer, there, there wasn't any miking. Right, you had like to be miking a ba- wasn't a thing, which is part of the reason why pop singers in the twenties, like Rudy Valley, uh, uh, they kind of sang like this. That that loud tenor voice because you had to send it out to yeah. the to the audience to the people in the back. So then they start the technology changes and they introduce mics. And Bing is one of the first guys to realize I can actually get close and kind of subtle. He underplays. He can croon. Like a film actor, yeah. yeah. He uses this lower register, which mm-hmm. doesn't project, you know, but it can project with the microphone. And it makes people lean in. Lean in, and he so... And lean then in. Frank Sinatra comes along and pushes that even further mm-hmm. in terms of kind of <laughs> acting the song. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, anyway. Technology influencing the performance. Right. Yes. It's interesting. It is interesting. It's also interesting if you ask the question of can someone named Dylan, can they call you Jimmy? No, this is a dumb question. I don't like this question. Scratch well, there's a lot record. of guys named Dylan, so it might get a little weird. Dylan's a very popular name these days, especially D- among young men. Are you serious? Dylan. Yeah. There's like a million young actors named Dylan. Wow. When you say Dylan that, Jones. it sounds like a different person hey, saying that. Hey, I'm Dylan. Hey, I'm Dylan Miller. This is my friend Dylan Jones. Hey, how's it going? I don't know why, but for some reason, because I can't <laughs> couldn't see your mouth from the windscreen, I really thought for I got a little, little bit yeah. spooked. I was like, "What? Who who did that?" Yeah, Dylan. I used to do a bit with my daughter. <laughs> oh my god! My daughter was younger. I right? did a bit called Cool Dad, where I would talk like that, just cool as a joke. Dad. Just as a joke. Did she love it or hate it? She thought it was funny, and when, like when she was like five, and yeah. I and I would go like, uh. Hey, how's it going? Hey, we're going to go. Hey, you want to go to McDonald's? <laughs> and then I just did it once as a bit, like yeah. when I was driving my kids somewhere. And then like a couple weeks later, my daughter said, hey, do cool dad again. <laughs> <laughs> it became a thing. So you're not the only one who had a, 
a, a genuine reaction to that. Yeah. My cool voice. When I started doing voiceovers in New York uh, in the 90s, it's still popular, but mm-hmm. this kind of what they used to call damaged voice. Oh. This kind of thing. It's not TV. It's HBO. Kind of sounds... Holy it's shit, It's like a lack man. of, you know, lack of affect. Yeah. Cool, like, I'm just, I'm just chilling and telling you about Tropicana orange juice. And there were guys who... That was their default voice. They actually spoke like that. Hey, um... Yeah, they kind of had that raspy lower register. And so I remember trying it a couple times, uh, but I never booked those because it wasn't me and it was totally fake. And because I just... Because I have this weird... I'm a community college dropout who grew up near the Jersey Shore, but I kind of sound like a professor or something. Yeah, you do have, so, you have, a, you have that sort of like... Or a, yeah. A so, scientist so, or no, something. Yeah, exactly. Like that, yeah. That's why I play Dr. Venture. Yeah. But... but they didn't want me to go, Tropicana, it's cool. Like, you know, I don't have a cool voice. What was the first role you got <laughs> as a voiceover artist? I remember this very actor. well. Okay. The first, I, it was a regional, it was a Washington, D.C. computer store. Okay. And it was like in the mid-90s at the time when Frasier was very popular. <laughs> and they wanted a guy who sounded like David Hyde Pierce. Oh. And so... So I was like... And it was, it was, the copy was humorously, com- was about the word PC and right. some joke about PC and politically correct. The two meanings of the word PC. Right. And so it was, it was lame, regional. It was for, well, well, but it was something like a few words about PC. There's PC meaning politically correct and PC meaning personal computer. <laughs> and I went in and I did that, like because his that thing that David Hyde Pierce does yeah. that's with that's in my it's area. It's very clipped. Yeah, it's a similar thing, and I kind of have a kind of clip. I think my voice, my parent, my dad's, my parents are both from New Jersey, mm-hmm. and they're basically both working class people from New Jersey. So my dad has kind of a loud. Dad's a teacher, but he he doesn't have like a professorial quality. He's a right. bright guy, but he's a Jersey guy. He grew up in Bayonne. His his father was an immigrant. So he has a little Jersey edge. Uh-huh. He's got a little Jersey edge to his voice. Kind of loud. You know, it's, kind of, it's a pretty good imitation of my dad. Hey, Jimmy. How's it going, Jimmy? How's the acting going? You know. And my mom is from Jersey City, which is right next door to Bayonne. Uh-huh. These are cities that are right across the bridge from New York. And her, she has uh, uh, sisters who have Jersey accents. Mm-hmm. But she told me this. She worked to get rid of her Jersey accent. So my mom has this kind of <laughs> modulated voice. Right. How's where it she go? kind of speaks she kind of speaks like this. She has a kind of careful, modulated way of speaking. Mm-hmm. But her sisters kind of talk like this because they're from Jersey. And my mom said no, she just wanted to lose that accent. So I think yeah. my voice is a weird combination of my dad's my dad's Jersey volume and attack and my mom's uh, sort of enunciation. Yeah, I think you, that's the, and, and so I came out talking like this. This stuff is—I mean, I could listen to you talk about that stuff for hours. <laughs> I just I'm fascinated it, by like dialects yeah, and I find voices. It infinitely and, fascinating. Yeah, me too. It's something where I feel like people get—they um, don't get hung up on it enough, and they think about people think so much about ethnicity and things like that when really the thing that defines us the most a lot of times is just how you sound. Yeah, I was in a. I, I was in a play once in New York, and it was a sort of comedic play where we played all these different characters throughout mm-hmm. the play. And at one point, I was playing a French guy. And 
I thought, well, I'm going to try to do the best French accent I can. Right. I'm not just going to do like Pepe Le Pew or whatever. So I, like, I found tapes of, of French guys speaking English, and I really studied it. So I came out, and I did the character. And then afterwards, I met people from the audience, and there was an actual French guy mm-hmm. who had seen the show. And he said to me, yeah, I was watching you do that character, and I thought, what is this accent he's doing? And then I realized, oh, he's being French. <laughs> and then the guy was like, you can go further with it. I mean, the guy was like, you can be more. Yeah, it's and so- then the guy said a great thing. He said, mm-hmm. well, like accents, it's just, it's about energy. It's about energy of like mm-hmm. where that person's from. And that was so fascinating to me. It, and because like these days there's a lot of, British and Australian actors who Ugh. come over and play leading men. Go home. I'm like procedurals. And go I actually, home. I welcome them. I don't really have a big I issue. I don't. With I that. say go home. If you listen to this podcast right now and you're from <laughs> Australia or England and you come to America to play an American part, especially a country musician, go home. But there's a thing where English and Australian actors, like a few years ago, the standard bad American accent was they'd push the R too much. How, how would that like sound? Like Tim, it, it would sort of sound like this. Like Tim Roth in Reservoir Dogs is okay. the high point of this particular thing where in Reservoir Dogs, in a very Tarantino way at one point, they're talking about Pam Greer. Okay. And Tim Roth says, yeah, that's the movie with Pam Greer. Oh, it's Pam too much. Pam Greer, because uh, they hear that we kind of, but we don't attack the R like a yeah. pit bull. We just say Greer. Greer. We don't say Greer. But... They've gotten better at that, but what I've noticed is a lot of English guys tend to do a vaguely New York nasal thing. Yeah. So they, they kind of talk like this, but it doesn't quite have the energy like that French guy was talking about. The attack is wrong. It doesn't have an American energy mm-hmm. to it. Some people do it well. It's so specific because— Kate Winslet does it really well. She does American well, you think? She does. Well, the, the accent is great, but it's also it's the energy. It's not just about how the words are pronounced. It's mm-hmm. the whole— one of the most fascinating things I ever saw was I was in Paris once, and I went <laughs> with my friend Todd Alcott, who uh, is uh, who's the guy who said, oh, you're Jim now, uh, from the earlier story. Damn. And Todd is a big fan of David Mamet, and I'm a fan of, like, early Mamet plays. And a theater company in Paris was doing Glengarry Glen Ross Great. and American Buffalo uh, in rep. In French, mm-hmm. for French audiences. But the plays are both set in Chicago, and, and they're, they're both... Distinctively American. And so there are French guys playing guys from Chicago, and it was one of the most fascinating things ever, because in my French, like, I knew enough to travel a little bit, but I right. didn't really speak French, but we both knew the plays so well, we knew exactly what was going on. Yeah. And it was amazing to see just how weird it was. It was truly bizarre, yeah. because you could also... It was like... Just things they did with their bodies, they moved differently mm-hmm. than American guys. I remember there's there's a scene in American Buffalo where they like there's this kid who works for these guys and they get into a fight and the kid gets hit and then they and then one of the guys like apologizes to the kid and he like like he and so in the play he like gives him a little hug. He's like, It's all right, you'll be okay. We'll take you to the hospital. Uh-huh. That's what happens in the play. And in the French version, he like did this weird long armed hug. Oh yeah, and it was like that's not how two American guys hug each other. No, it's like it's a it's a French hug. <laughs> yeah, you're French hugging them, and it was just stuff like this, the way they would move. And mm-hmm. then one guy, like the guy who played Ricky Roma, the Pacino role in the movie, he was almost doing a Steve Martin thing with like a lot of finger gun yeah. and moving his body. Hey, that kind of thing. And it because he was doing like 
And I'm sure, like me, when I was playing the French guy, mm-hmm. I'm. It was just as grotesque. You have to, to tell the French people, guy watching me. Yeah, it's this weird thing where. <laughs> Obviously, you have to because there's, there's this thing that happens. There's a phenomenon with costuming I learned about, where let's say you're watching a movie from the '60s, but the movie is a period piece about the '20s. Yes, they have they can't do a fully distinctive look from the '20s. Otherwise, people will be confused because most people don't understand. There's a lot of period things in costume mm-hmm. and otherwise that did, did not leave the decade they were in. And there are things that are super bizarre and arcane to where if you see – anytime you see a period movie, you can always see the decade in which it was made, not necessarily the decade it's supposed to be about. Right. So in that case, it would be the 60s designer's version of clothes from the 20s. Right. And there might be aspects – there's aspects of 60s design incorporated in the 20s design because it's like this thing where you have to – uh, tell people, you have to show people what you're doing, otherwise they get confused. It's the same with um, like women's eyebrows. Women's mm-hmm. eyebrows have changed like dramatically. They change all the time. Like right now we're yeah, like a hedge. They're in. Yeah, the hedge eyebrows face. The now. big, thick, yes. am- ambiguously ethnic hedges. I call them hedges. Yes. But if you watch anything from like the, this, uh, the 60s or like even the 80s, women's eyebrows tend to be very thin and plucked. So it's this yeah. thing where you're watching something from an era that were the period would be the woman would have thick eyebrows, but she has thin eyebrows. Like it's Diane Keaton with thin eyebrows. So you know this was shot in the 60s and not the... Uh, whenever, exactly, yeah. yes. It's all these weird things where it's like it's like a signaler. One of the most famous uh, is uh, um, Dances with Wolves mm-hmm. from the 90s, which is supposed to be set in like the 19th century or something. Yeah, it's supposed to be set like 18. And the leading lady has like the most 90s hair. She yeah. looks like she's on Friends or something. Right, she has like this vo- <laughs> voluminous... Sort of, yeah, she's got like this, the Rachel. She's got yeah, the yeah, Rachel. Yeah, yeah. She's out there in the fucking wilderness. Exactly. Yeah. I think we've gotten better at it. I think the director's <laughs> gotten better. <laughs> yeah. That would be so funny to see that. I even had Italian, I took Italian in college for one semester, and um, I took French for years before that. Mm-hmm. I took Italian just for fun one time, and he'd always say I spoke Italian with a French accent. And remember one time I was like, oh, what, should I do like this? Like, quanti anni hai? Pievrocio corastante. I was doing like a joke. He's like, yes, that's how you do it. Yeah, that's what the French guy said to me. Yeah. It'd be more Frenchy. <laughs> I was like, but I'm, uh, I'm doing I, an impersonation yeah. of a bad Italian accent. He's I, like, no, that's how you sound. Because, <laughs> because it's not, and again, it's the same thing the yeah, French guy the was energy. talking about. It's the energy, and it's, it's regional. It's all about right. regional energy. It's like the it's also it's like the energy of confidence. It's the thing where yeah, and it's because it, it's not just vocal; it's also physical. Yeah, so you're putting it behind it, which goes back to this, this my postulate of if you, people who look similar, I swear <laughs> to God, they sound similar. <laughs> Interesting. Well, David Hyde Pierce and I share certain features. Yeah, and we both had that kind of clipped actor voice. <laughs> I mean, this it's the thing i swear to god it's a lot interesting of, like people say people have said that i sound like bruno kirby ha and i okay. sound like woody allen and i sound like michael Sarah. those are the three people i say that i sound like and and one can see aspects of those yeah. people in you yeah it, i i get it. that's because because when you start to like study dialects and do and learn about accents and mm-hmm. stuff it, it's all about where the voice is placed, like the, the back of the throat, the front. Yeah. You learn like the Brooklyn accent is like in the front of the mouth, mm-hmm. but the Bronx accent is more in the back. Like if you're from New York, you can tell the differences right. in these accents. 
So it's a, it's a, it's physical, and it, and and it's like has to do with. So it has to with, with the shape of your mouth. Yeah, and, the shape of your mouth, and so if if someone has a similar face, mouth shape, they're going to sound similar. It might come out as yeah. That's that's yeah. fascinating. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, it happens <laughs> it happens all the time. I'll be watching something and be like, who does that person sound like? Oh, it sounds like the person who looks like that. <laughs> it's like right. it's like oh, it sounds like my friend. I'm gonna keep my, my friend eyes Jeff open for that. Yeah, it sounds like Jeff. It sounds like my old roommate. But it's one of those things where if I say that, I feel like I get in trouble. I'd be like, well, how can you how can you say that? Someone's physical appearance does not. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it actually does. It does. Everything informs everything. Like there's right. no there's no free lunch in terms of. Like, if something takes up physical space, it's going to inform things around it. It's like that, it's like, where do you draw the line in terms of what influences what? Like, mass is mass. If something is massive, mm. something takes up physical space in the universe, it has an impact on the things that it shares the space with in a way that you can't, you can't deny it. It's like, a, it's a real thing. Yes. Unlike your voice, but your voice is... It's a strange thing, right, man? It's fucking crazy, the voice. Because then when, you're, <laughs> when you start to grow up and become an adult, well, for guys, your voice changes notably. Yeah. Is that transitional? In my case, not so, not trans- not so notably. <laughs> well, the transitional period. It's like the difference between me and my voice changes like, <laughs> hey, guys. Hey, guys. <laughs> it's like that. Nothing. You know what I like is like the tough guy voice that's, that's upper register. Like yeah. Bruce Willis kind of does. That thing of like the guy's like, yeah, my favorite kind of tough guy moment is this is a real thing that happens to guys a lot uh-huh. is like the guy in the bar who's like, "Excuse me, excuse me," <laughs> well, you know, just the guy is, yeah, yeah, yeah. "Hey, excuse me, it's my seat." Hey, it's my seat. Excuse me. Yeah, <laughs> that that kind of that kind of yeah. Like I when I got older, my voice kind of sort of a middle range voice, but it's kind of lower register, right? But I like that thing of. Like you think, you know, tough guy, you go yeah. down there. But I, I like to kind of uh, almost whisper it, you know. Yeah, he's up here. He says, uh, yeah, what's the actor? Uh, well, Bruce Willis, he could just Bruce say Bruce Willis but, doesn't. There's other guys who do that kind does, of... Uh, uh, Mickey Rourke in, in a big way when he was younger. I guess Christopher Walken kind of does that, but he's not so much a tough guy as a weird guy. Yeah, and, and Walken has a weird accent because he has a New York accent, but, yeah. but it's kind of an actor voice. Yeah, he's got actor voice. But yeah, that... that Kind of always like that tough guy thing where they, it's very whispery and light almost. I think it all kind of comes from because <laughs> <laughs> I always feel like if you have a really deep voice, there's people I know who have really deep voices, and I think what it must be like to just order a coffee. Yeah. Like if you have a really deep voice and you just you're just like, oh yeah, because okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm used to talking. I have a lot of stuff going. Like oh yeah, um, well, I have a um, oh sorry, but it's like a lot of stuff, <laughs> yeah. a lot of little decorations. But if you have yeah. a big deep voice, you can just say, "Hi, I'll have an americano, please." <laughs> That's all you gotta say. That's it. You just drop it down, yeah, and it gets picked up because you just you don't have to have all these little flowers and little like little vocal handles. Now, what would that be like if let's hear that voice with a little Woody Allen-ish? Uh, oh, I just if just could I? Oh, hi. Oh, sorry. Well, um, uh, could you? Uh, sorry about that. Is there a way I could? Uh, um, <laughs> oh, is, uh, is that a medium or is it a medium or a large? Uh, it's, it sounds fine. imposing. It sounds it, imp- it, yeah, but it also sounds scary because it's like this thing where you hear 
the thing that's supposed <laughs> to be in control, losing control. It's like a large right. spaceship yeah. crashing. Exactly. It's like a ship sinking. Like, no, no, don't sink. You're too big. You're going to hurt us all. And it's possible that guys whose natural voices are that low feel that, even if they haven't thought about it. They don't, there's not a lot of that frippery. Because when I go into a restaurant and ask for a seat, <laughs> I know what I want, and typically I get what I want. Yeah. So it's not something where I'm waiting around too long. You know what I mean, man? That old, that old song, it's just, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just like that song oh, I wrote. yeah. That song from Curtis uh, Bueller. Yeah. Yeah, Chicka Chicka. Chicka Chicka. Chicka Chicka. It's not... Oh, um, just, I think, I, I'm sorry, just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. That's not how the song goes. Uh, it, yeah, it's, it's just one word. Uh, may, wait, if I could just, um, I'm sorry, wait, is, is yeah. it possible if I could just, um, maybe, is this, is this, uh, I'll let you outside. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we can get a seat outside. Actually, what, I don't want to bother you. Is it, is it terrace seat? Okay, well, it's, it's in the sun, so I, we'll probably wait around the court. Uh, you have my cell phone? Okay, well, we could, yeah. I'd like to sit outside. <laughs> Hi, my name Simple. is James. I'd like a terrace seat for one. I'll be reading a book. Yes. Bring me some tiramisu. I'll have tiramisu. I'll be reading a book by myself comfortably. Thomas Pinchon. Hi, I'm six foot six. So when I sit down, it's going to be for a long time. Hi, when I make a movement, it's deliberate. Hi. Good. That's the whole uh, uh, Game of Thrones uh, thing where they all talk like that, you know. These English guys love to do those lower register voices. I love to do. Do you have a voice you use on the phone when you want to impre- when you want to be like you're talking to the Delta ticket agent? You got to be okay. Got to cut to the chase here. Uh, I tend to do. Uh, Hi, yeah, um, yeah, I tend to, I tend to, it goes up a little. Okay, really? And it's, it's, yeah, I'm always trying to not seem like a jerk to a customer service person. Right. I may try too hard. So, yeah, I don't, even like in a restaurant, uh-huh. like, the, I, I don't do, I love the roast beef and the, there's always a little circling around it. I, I do that. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, the roast beef and, uh, uh can I get a lemonade? <laughs> like, I'm in a restaurant. And it's like I'm asking permission. See, I have the opposite thing where I'm always hyper aware of <laughs> seeming too much like I'm deferring to someone. So I'll say, Interesting. I'll say, like, uh, just very direct and clipped, like, uh, I will have this. Right. And, like, not even call it by name. Like, it's, it's, kind of, I think it can be disrespectful. And it, you can interpret it that way. I feel like it can be flip. But yeah, we, I have different, yeah. So I think I tend to use, Sort of an upper register where I'm kind of circling around the thing where mm-hmm. I'm dealing with a service person because right. I I don't want to seem like a jerk. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah. Do you ever put on a different voice completely? Like, oh hey, um, I'm just calling. Look, I, this shampoo is something wrong with it. I don't know what's going on. I just look. I love the way it smells. Don't get me wrong. This is wonderful smelling shampoo, but it's got something in it, and I just don't think it's good. What would be the point of doing a southern dialect? I do that sometimes because I think it's disarming. Because it makes, because <laughs> it's like a status thing where there's like an. It's always. Well, what like, do you get from it? We got a. This is the first time I've ever had five a five-minute warning. warning. Oh my god! Honestly, I've never had that before. But what do you get? What's going to happen? Doing What's going to happen in five minutes? It's going to go. Do 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 do. Hi. 
With Lexapro, you can be yourself. Stand down. Life is interesting through the windows of time. I used to get five-minute warnings. And then I got ten. But with Lexapro, I get ten-minute warnings. When I use Lexapro, and when I talk like this to people on the phone, they just do what I want because I'm being deferential to them as a small person. Hi, I'm a small gay southern man. How are you? And I kind of like to do the Billy Bob Thornton okay. thing where you kind of feel it in the bottom of the... You swagger it a bit. Sit, yeah, but it's kind of like you're just, it's kind of there in the bottom of the mouth there. Like a catfish gullet. Yeah, but it's its kind of, it's, it's masculine that. and authoritative, but it still has a gentle quality because right. it feels like you're kind of got some <laughs> jello in there or something. And you, yeah, can I get the uh, Lexapro uh, and can I also order uh, the socks? Uh, order Sorry. number 312 <laughs> I do I like when I do southern I kind of like this one down that down here Yeah that down sort of it's sort of just like uh, I ain't no, I ain't nothing to you I'm just I'm just bibbling around no big deal no wonder James Yes sir 5 minute warning Um I guess I want to ask you more about American Splendor but I oh, mean Oh yeah if we have time I don't know I mean I've seen that movie so many times and I love it that was one of the great experiences. It has to be. It's one of those things where, I mean, what a weird confluence of things. What like a what a special movie, it right? Was a, it was a great confluence for mm-hmm. me because, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I had wanted to be a cartoonist when I was young. Right. And then I lived with Bob, who we called in earlier, that my chill roommate. Exactly. And he had he was a big fan of Crumb, and he had and also Picar, and he had like all these American Splendor yeah. comics. And, so it sort of made sense. Comics. So, and, and as an actor, you get auditions, and you're like, I'll do the best I can. Right. And that was a rare one where I was like, no one else is going to get this part. So you <laughs> this felt part like that, is mine. And you felt like that going into it. I felt like going in, and uh, I borrowed a, a little fedora from a friend, uh-huh. uh, and I went in there, and I, I tried to... He's got a kind of... He's a cartoon... He's a shy man, and he... Yeah. He has that kind of back of the throat thing where his his voice kind of comes from, which is not my vocal attack at all. Yeah. But I kind of did that. Jay McShane. And, uh, and the first, yeah, Jay McShane. And then the, then the first day of auditions, sidebar, mm-hmm. were 9 10 2001. Wow. Uh, so then it was like a few weeks before I was called back. Yeah, because that was before the September 11th attacks. Exactly. Damn. I remember that very well. That's a, that's a movie where, honestly, I don't really think about the actors in that movie because I feel like they were so seamlessly like just now when we we're talking about it I completely mm-hmm. forgot oh wait that was Paul Giamatti right well they like, all because the real people are also it. in the movie because the movie is like part documentary right. part recreations and also as animation and you really don't feel like there's it's so seamless because everyone's doing their performances are so ugh, it's really well done yeah and it's it. directed by a husband and wife mm-hmm. team named Bob Pulcini and Sherry Springer Berman, and they were really the right people to make that movie. They're, they had made documentaries before that, and but they really, mm-hmm. yeah, they really got it. And that was a great experience. Harvey Picard was on the set. He was very sweet to me. That's cool. He was, he was really excited to be there. And Great jazz, too. Great old jazz. One of my favorite artists of all time. I got into Donald Byrd from that movie, actually. Donald Byrd, I fucking love who's, Donald, Donald Byrd. Who's uh, Donald Byrd? I don't remember Donald Byrd is, is a uh, saxophone player. He was oh. active like in this sort of the, uh, you know, yeah, po- that's, bop, post-bop yeah, era. That's sort of the era. Oh, that's great. stuff that they have on the soundtrack. Is there anything you want to leave us with, James? 
Patreon.com slash live to tape. Oh, wow. These are my little promos. Patreon.com slash live to tape. Okay, check that out. Also, I love live them. to tape podcast at gmail.com. Okay, Wait, are you, you sliding a thing through there? And that's what makes the sound? It's pretty basic. Live to tape podcast at live to tape. <laughs> Live to tape podcast. You're essentially putting a punch card into a thing and it makes a noise. It's amazing. Podcast at at gmail.com. This is is what they used to call carts in old radio. Basically, yes. They had these little eight track looking things that were loops. It's very similar to a cart, yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that. I used to have carts back when I first started radio. We had carts. Yeah. I went to uh, Burtell Community College in the early 80s and and I, I used to make some carts and things. Yeah. Carts. It's fun. Fun times. I don't know. I'm just, yeah. Yeah. I have like a... You do plugs? Yeah, plug it. Plug away, man. Plug it. Plug away, man. What so you I, it, it's kind of been dormant for a while, but I'm going to bring back my feral show, which yes. is called Getting On with James Urbaniak, yes. which is like little radio dramas. Someone asked about that when it's coming back. Yeah. I, I'm My writing partner, Bree Williams, and I are writing a new, like an hour-long episode, and the plan is for there to be like a big premiere. Uh, it's probably in the next... I don't know. At this point, probably closer to like uh, the winter. But that's the plan. But there's it's but all the old episodes are archived, and uh, it's a thing I've been doing for a couple years. They're like they're just kind of like short radio plays. They started out as monologues, and then they kind of got more ambitious. And there's other actors in them and stuff. Uh, So I'm doing that, and then yeah, just difficult people watch that. It's funny. Julie Klausner created it. Great, brilliant writer performer. In New York. And yeah, it's stuff. Look at the IMDB. Look at James Urbania. You know, the usual stuff. The usual Why stuff. go to the store for stamps when they can be delivered right to your door? Why go to the store for stamps and you can get them for at your door for free? Also with hats. Thank you for being on the show, James. Thank you, Johnny. This was a treat. We're going to leave it off here with a little bit of Donald Bird. Yeah, Bird, whose nickname was not Bird. Exactly. Wow.